Beautiful night for baseball. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell, where we kick back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds for another Monday night, and it looks like we're getting closer and closer to Major League Baseball possibly beginning, and it looks like it may happen on July 1st. And in order to talk about that and more on tonight's program, let's bring in our Reds expert here in Cincinnati, Blake Watson. Blake, good evening. How are you doing tonight? I'm great, Dave. How are you, sir? Doing really good. It looks like we're getting closer to maybe some baseball being played in the uh, state of Ohio coming up here in about a month. Yeah, it's exciting to see that we're starting to return to a little bit of normalcy, Dave, um, especially with sports coming back. NASCAR starts this weekend. UFC had a big event over the weekend. Obviously, fans aren't in attendance, but doesn't keep us from watching it and enjoying the the successes and failures of our team. No, nope. I was up until 1.30 Saturday night, Sunday morning, watching the UFC. That was a pretty interesting card, even though, there, like you said, there was nobody in the stands. Yeah, I didn't get to watch it this this time. Kind of fell out of love with the UFC over the last couple of years. I used to really be into it. Got to a point where it was almost too hard to follow. There's too many guys. Um, I, I like the, the era of UFC when it first got really big, when, you know, you had Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz and Randy Couture and Matt Hughes and Rich Franklin. There was about 10 or 12 guys that were like, all right, those are the best guys in the world. And it's such an unpredictable sport, man, that it's just it's just hard to get to where you have favorites in fights. And it, it's, you know, they try to create try to create this excitement and you know the fi- the fights are still great i just don't can't justify paying for it no i i agree although you well know, i i'll admit it i don't pay for it but we'll we'll get into that maybe later on down the road um blake as i said it looks like baseball could be getting underway around the time of july 1st now i know most agents according to reports last week especially in chicago boy they were really hot and heavy with this thing that agents had told the players to be ready to start the season on July 1st, that they would probably be going into spring training around the 10th or 11th of June to get themselves ready for the game. The owners and Manfred are meeting today. They met today to try to put together a proposal, and if they could come to terms on something, they were going to present it to the union tomorrow, and it could solidify everything. And the way it sounds... The Reds and Indians will be in the same division. There will be interleague play. There will be 10 teams in the Central Division, 10 in the West, 10 in the East, and those divisions are only going to play themselves. They won't be playing outside of the divisions. Anything else that you've heard that sounds kind of interesting, Blake? The most interesting thing to me is probably the adoption of the 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 unified rules of having a designated hitter. Um, And especially being a Reds fan, they've got so many guys that could – get at bats in that spot. Oh yeah. That I think it could really help the Reds. They're built more like an American League team right now than a National League team. Um and especially with the new rule going to, you know, three batter minimums for relievers and things like that. The double switch and the pinch hitter is going to be going to go a little bit of the wayside, I think. I don't think you're going to see it as much anyway. I don't think you would have um 
just just based on matchups and things like that. I don't think you were going to see as many things like that. And I think this is going to all but eliminate that, which I don't love as a traditional National League fan. I like the idea of double switches, and I like the idea of the lineup changing halfway through the game and guys that weren't in the game to the beginning of the game could have an impact on the, the game coming uh, – the outcome of the game. Um, but, you know, I think it benefits my team, at least for this year. Um, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. I think that's an exciting thing. I don't think that's going to go away after this year. I think there's been enough talk about that being instituted anyway. I think that's something that'll probably carry over out of this, this, this pandemic time that the designated hitter will just be in both leagues for good. I think the most interesting thing that I saw come out of this really was the fact that they were going to go ahead <clears throat> and just play inside their own division, not outside the division. That and they would increase the playoffs by two more teams. I mean, if you're going to play 80 games, only 80 games, Blake, which, I mean, it, it's not an ideal situation, but I think they're doing the best that they can do under this entire problem that they've had to deal with. Uh, I, I think that's probably the most sane thing to do is just to play games inside your division. That way it alleviates the problem of a lot of overnight travel, so to speak. I mean, you could really go from Atlanta to Chicago to Cincinnati basically in a couple of days. Yeah, I think I think the good thing for it, too, because it's going to be a shortened season, you'll get a true champion of all of those divisions. Um, you know, if you're only playing each other and everybody's going to have the same pitching matchups, everybody's going to see the same guys, you're not going to have I, – I, it was a couple years ago where three times in a row the Reds went to face the Cubs when the Reds were still pretty good and none of their top two start or Latos and Cueto didn't pitch in any of the games. For nine straight games, they saw Leak, Arroyo, and whoever the fifth starter was, probably Alfredo Simon. And we were seeing John Lester and the top of their rotation every time through. And it's just, you know, it, it doesn't set up for necessarily fairness. Obviously, that's a baseball thing, and I get it. Um, but it's just, you know, the way the schedule will stack this year, I think you'll get a true champion out of each of those three divisions. I mean, when you're looking at what the schedule should have been this year, the Reds would be at home tonight taking on the Marlins. The Indians would that's be a on, win. Yeah, there you go. The Indians would be on the road playing Baltimore. You could say that that's a win. Um, but if this thing goes according to the way that they're proposing it, here's the way the Central would look. The Chicago Cubs and the White Sox, the Milwaukee Brewers, the St. Louis Cardinals, Kansas City Royals, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Minnesota, Atlanta, and Detroit. When you look at that division, Blake, first of all, the teams that really look like they're coming to the cream of the crop at the top, right off the top of your head, would be Milwaukee, Cincinnati, Minnesota, and Atlanta. Those four teams right there with some dark horses being, I'm a big proponent of what the White Sox have done. I think the White Sox are going to be a lot better than what a lot of people think. I think they're a dark horse, and I think the Indians are a dark horse. Maybe even the Cardinals and the Cubs, but I still think that the that the White Sox and the Indians are going to be better than the Cubs and Cardinals in an 80-game season. I think what you what you see out of that group, obviously, I don't really like Atlanta being in that group. I think it should be Pittsburgh. I agree. Um, yeah, I understand for for logistical reasons. I understand why they want Pittsburgh in the same group as Philadelphia. Um, but to me, I would have put Atlanta in the East with the Marlins because they're the closest two to being national rivals. 
um, as far as location goes, it'd be the easiest travel partner with, with Miami would be Atlanta. Um, obviously, you know, I work at Detroit Athletics, so we talk about travel partners all the time. Mm-hmm. We play in a men's volleyball league that stretches from St. Louis to Northern Ohio, and it's for the D3 level, that's a huge footprint. So there's always travel partners. So that's something that we consider a lot. Um, I think it shows you like Atlanta's really good, but it shows you out of the AL Central and the NL Central, the teams you talked about. I think overall, you'll, you'll, you'll agree, probably agree with this. The NL Central is definitely a stronger division. Um, there's oh, yeah. more, By every far. team in the NL Central, except for the Pirates, is capable, was capable of winning the division this year. Mm-hmm. Um, we just didn't know how it was going to break out. I think on paper, the Reds probably have the best team. Um, and a lot of that stems from the, the pitching staff. Uh, and obviously the additions, but you don't know what the additions are going to do. The White Sox are really interesting, man. I think they're that, that team that's, you know, like the Cubs were a couple years ago. Everybody looked at them. Man, they're, they're a lot better, but I think they're a year away. Uh, I think they're, you know, it'll take a year to get that thing figured out and what, the, figure out what they actually are. You know what I mean? Um, are they the team that, you know, that was okay last year that added a bunch or are they just okay still? Who knows what the additions are going to bring? Who knows what's going to happen? Um, but I, I like the Reds' chances in that division. I really do. I don't see any team in that division that you look at like, okay, they're just the best team. You look out west, it's the Dodgers. You look at the east, it's probably the Yankees. Um, and and the centrals would be a lot more balanced, I think, which, which leads itself to the team with the best pitching staff to probably win it. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the central division, if you if you – Put a gun to my head and said, hey, you gotta pick two teams that are really gonna balance this thing out, are really gonna fight tooth and nail. I'd say it's gonna be the Reds and the Braves. With Minnesota yeah, maybe would, fighting for third. Yeah, I would say those are probably the two best teams in, in that central group that you talked about. Um, I think the Reds pitching staff is definitely stronger than the Braves, but I think the Braves lineup's definitely stronger than the Reds. Braves got some of the best young talent in baseball, man. Oh, they do. Um, Acuna. Ronald Acuna, Ozzy yeah. Albies, like they're, and Freddie Freeman, really good still. They're, they're a good baseball team. I mean, let's take a look at that Eastern division. That thing is a powerhouse also. Every division is going to be really, really powerful when you look at combining the American and National Leagues. With the East, you've got the Yankees, the Mets, the Red Sox, the Nationals, who are the defending champions, Baltimore, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Toronto, Tampa Bay, and the Miami Marlins. Now, realistically, I don't think the East is as strong as the Central Division, but right there, you've got the Yankees that are going to be pretty good and the Nationals. I think the Nationals you're going to see have a drop-off. But nonetheless, they're still going to be a tough team to beat. After that, boy, that's about it, unless you want to include Philadelphia in it. And they've got a great manager in Joe Girardi. But those are about the only three teams that could win that division. Yeah, I think you look at that division, and it's a lot like you look at like college uh, basketball or football. Um, conferences. I think they're really top heavy. I think their top two or three teams can absolutely win the World Series. But I think as far as depth goes, I don't think it's close to what the Central has. Um, I think Philly might be a little better than people think. I'm so not a Bryce Harper fan. I don't think he deserved that money. Um, I agree. I think Girardi might be the right guy to kind of put a collar on him a little bit. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But the Nationals are scary, man, because you get into – if they get into the playoffs, they find a way to get in, 
I don't care who you play, who you have hitting. You run into a short series when you got Strasburg and uh, Scherzer. Scherzer going twice. They're going to be tough to beat, man. It's yeah. just that's you. You know as well as I do, and every baseball fan out there understands that the most important thing come late season baseball and playoffs is pitching. That's why I'm not as sold on the Dodgers as everybody else, because um, I just don't know that the top end of the rotation outside of Walker Bueller is is really as good as it could be. Well, yeah, let's take a look at that Western division, which, as you said, is going to include the Dodgers and the Angels, the San Francisco Giants, Oakland Athletics, San Diego Padres, Arizona Diamondbacks, Colorado, Texas, Houston, and Seattle. Now, Oakland is a dark horse there. You've got the Dodgers, and I agree with you. The Dodgers pitching is not as up to par as it could be based upon their lineup. Matter of fact, there's been a rumor that's been floated around out there that I think it's pretty interesting that I I didn't even put on our itinerary tonight, Blake, but let's get into that real quick. The Dodgers may still be interested in getting Francisco Lindor, and they're dangling Peterson in front of the Indians right now to get Lindor. I still, to me, if I'm if I'm the Indians, I still don't know that I make that deal. Um, I just I don't know what it's so hard to know what Jock Peterson is. Is he the guy that four, three or four years ago was a National League Rookie of the Year candidate? Is he another Jay Bruce type? You know what I mean? I mean, and if he's Jay Bruce, which is kind of what his baseball card says he is, um, is he worth Francisco Lindor? In my eyes, the answer is a resounding no. Um, that's why a lot of the times in the trade market, you look for more what a guy could be than what he is when you're looking for younger guys or prospects or you're the one trading from a position of strength. Right. Um, I'm gonna, if I'm the Dodgers, I don't trade for anything but starting pitching right now, but that's just me. I'm going to come back to that <laughs> that proposed trade here in a minute because we're going to talk about Francisco Lindor. The Dodgers are – are, as we said, probably one of the league candidates to win that division. You've got the Angels. You know the Angels are going to be better just because Joe Madden is there this year. Then you've got Oakland, as we said. You've got the Diamondbacks, who are going to be a better ball club because their pitching is going to be improved. But then after Houston, everything just kind of falls off the edge. So that that division in the West, although I don't think it's as strong as the Central, you've only got four teams out there that can win that division. Yeah, completely agree with you. Um, Houston is another one, man. That, that you know, I'm a big believer in you're one of the best teams in the league until you're not anymore. Until somebody proves it on the field, regardless yeah. of all the cheating stuff. That lineup is still dumb. That lineup is so good. Um, I think that lineup might be, and it's it's a different lineup than the Dodgers. It's not as power packed with names, but I think as far as the way they attack the baseball game on the field. I think they're probably just a tiny step below what the Dodgers run out offensively. Um, yeah, I, would agree I don't know, with that. man. It's I think those two are obviously the class of that division. I, I haven't really seen what the playoff, like what they say the playoffs are going to look like. How many teams from each division are going to go? Um, well, they're going to take the they're going to take the top three. Supposedly how they're going to do it is they're going to take the top seven of from each league. And then it would be – that's when they're going to split it up to the American and the National League. 
So I'm not exactly sure how they they plan on doing that because, yeah, like you said, they haven't come out and said that. But the plan was to take the top seven from each league. See, I don't know that I don't know how I feel about that because just say to talk about the central, and outside of probably Minnesota and maybe Chicago, we we both think there's three or four National League teams that are better. Like the Braves, Reds, Cubs, and Cardinals are probably better than anybody in that AL Central group, other than maybe Minnesota and Chicago. That's and not even throwing Milwaukee. So say Milwaukee, say the top, the National League teams finish all the top five teams in the National League Central Division. <laughs> Are the American League teams in that group still going to get in? Like I don't understand how that's that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, but again, I'm not the one making the decisions. I just want baseball to be played. Well, what they could do realistically is just take the top seven teams from each league and send them into the playoffs. Yeah, I think you could. Um, then it gets weird and how they decide wild cards and who's hosting and, you know, cause it, is it the same if you beat up on a bad division versus, you know what I mean? Like if, if the Yankees finish with a lower record than the twins, but the central is way worse than the East. That's just, it's just tough to even think about how they're going to decide all these questions. And obviously that's why they make a lot more money than you and I do. <laughs> they got to decide these questions. Um, and I think regardless of what we do, this is going to be a baseball season. It's forever remembered as kind of an outlier, I hope. Yeah. Um, yeah. The big question and, I've and, got, the big question I've got, Blake, sorry to interrupt you, but the big one that I've no, got good. is, are the fans going to be, are we going to be able to go down to Great American Ballpark and watch a game? I think by the end of the season, you're going to be allowed to. Um, I think the hope will be at some point to say, hey, here we got 5,000 tickets for the next three games. First come, first serve, whoever gets it, gets it. And then it'll go to 10,000 and 15,000. I think in a, in a ballpark that holds 35, I think 15 to 20,000 people can be pretty well socially distant from each other um, everywhere except for the, you know, the vending lines. And we've all been in Kroger and Target enough the last few months to yeah. know that that can be worked out. All of those things can, you know, can are hurdles we've jumped already. Um, people are so used to it. People are wearing masks and stuff. I think it's going to happen. I think by the time you get to the playoffs, you'll have at least some crowd in, in the stands. What I don't want to see, Blake, and this is entirely possible, and both you and I know it, and both you're going to agree with, uh, with me on this, I don't want to see baseball get underway, and then around August, August 15th, all of a sudden there'll be a second wave of this stuff, and we got to shut everything down again. Yeah, but I think that's a change we have to take with everything right now, right? Like, as we're, you know, you and I both live in Ohio, and we're in the process of opening the economy now. I think a bunch of stuff actually opened today. Um, hey, the drive-ins you know, opened up over the weekend. Amen. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it, it, you know, we have to try. The worst thing that can happen is that. And is that really worse than not starting? I don't think so. Um, I agree, yeah. Uh, you know, obviously people are getting sick and still dying from this thing, whatever your beliefs on it are. Um, it's just, regardless of what we do, it's not the right decision. We start playing baseball tomorrow. It's not the right decision. We wait until next year. It's not the right decision. So you just got, they just got to make a decision and roll with it and, and go. The one thing I'm curious to see is how they handle players' salaries. Yeah. Um, 
because you know the the MLBPA is going to have a problem with these guys not getting their full salary. But from an ownership standpoint, I see if I run a business and you only do half the work, it's kind of hard to give you the full amount that you that I promised you. It's, it's you know the contract states 162 games. Yeah, and you don't play 162. It's really tough to give those guys you know the full money, especially when you're not getting any gate money, not getting yeah. any concession money. Obviously, you and I both think the TV money is going to be astronomical when they come back. But and, and honestly, Blake, I think the players will be willing to give a little bit on that. They understand the situation. They know how important it is to come back. But I think the I think the owners are going to have to be willing to give just a little bit. And I think what you're going to end up seeing it's it's always the it's always the bargaining chip that the players want an extra roster spot or two. That's what they always want every time uh, a, a, a collective bargaining agreement comes to forefront. I think you're going to see rosters of probably 30. Um, Could be. With with some caveats that there's maybe, you know, each franchise gets to send 75 or 80 guys from their minor league system to their spring training facilities um, to continue working on their craft and maybe play, you know, some simulated games or if you're, you know, have a cactus league and a grapefruit league to take the place of the minors this year. Um, where, you know, God forbid guys with, with the time off and all these things, guys are bound to get hurt and it's sports. So they get hurt anyway. Um, and if you don't have a minor league system to feed guys up, there's gotta be something in place. And I think that's probably the best scenarios send them all the spring training facility and then when you need a guy go get him down there obviously it's not as convenient for you know the reds going to louisville i think cleveland's is indianapolis right mm-hmm. yes and you can't you can't just pull guys oh, from that quick no cleveland's cleveland's is columbus i'm sorry columbus yeah um you can't just pull guys from you know 40 minutes away but you know a flight across country is only three hours nowadays so in reality i think there's got to be something like that in place as well um which again will help those guys prepare to be uh, major leaguers at some point too. So I think that's another plus for the players. It, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And one one of the interesting things that I saw come out this weekend, Blake, and I think this is the only the only basic data that we've been able to put together on this COVID nineteen testing is out of Major League Baseball. And I saw this last night, and I thought it was really an interesting. Uh, testing statistic is that they tested all of Major League Baseball, all of the employees. Now, that's including front office players, anybody that's under a Major League contract, they tested. And of that test, only seven-tenths of a percent came back positive for the COVID-19 virus. But of that seven-tenths of a percent, 70% of those came back as asymptomatic, meaning that they had the virus, but they showed no symptoms of it, yet they were still a carrier and st- still be could be contracted from them. I don't know why. I just thought that was an interesting t- t- uh, data statistic to take forward. I think, uh, and not to get off on a tangent with this COVID thing, but I think as the statistics become more prevalent, like as we do more research, you're going to see that this, and this is personal opinion. I don't know this. Obviously, I'm not a doctor, but. Um, I think you're going to see that this, you know, has been around longer than we thought. More people carry it than we originally thought. 
Uh, more people already have the antibodies than we originally thought. And it's not killing as many people as we, we think it is. Um, you know, there's all the stories out about, you know, different places getting, calling different things COVID deaths when they're not COVID deaths. Whether that's true or not, it's out there. Um, that's the thing, the whole thing that scares me about this thing more than anything is the fact that we don't really know. You know what I mean? It's, right. It's everything about it is kind of smoke and mirrors. It feels like at times and there is no hard and fast data yet, but I think as it comes back, we're going to be in a better spot than we think we are. Okay. Well, I, wa- I hope we do. I want to get back to Francisco Lindor because it came out last week that the Indians had indeed sat down with Lindor and made him a contract offer. Now, there was no disclosure as to how much they had actually offered Lindor and how much they were going to possibly start their negotiations from. But Lindor immediately shut everything down and said no matter what, he was going to test the free agent market. He did not come out and say he was going to leave Cleveland, but what he was saying was he is definitely going to go ahead and test the free agent market. What that tells me, Blake, is that there is not a chance in hell that the Indians are going to be able to sign Francisco Lindor, and I'm on the bandwagon that they should go ahead and try to change him or trade him. Unfortunately, in this situation, it's going to be harder than all get-out to be able to put together a trade now for him. Yeah, I think I would agree that that means they're probably not re-signing him. Um, I would... I've all, you know, I've always been of the opinion, and obviously it's part of that is because I'm a Red fan and I want Francisco Lindor to come down 75, but, um, I think they should have traded him two months ago, uh, three months ago in the offseason, whenever winter meetings, whatever it was. I think that, you know, there was never going to be a time when his trade value was higher. Um, and I always kind of thought that he wasn't coming back to Cleveland. By saying he wants to test free agency, I, I think he's kind of signaled. And obviously Cleveland's been pretty successful since he's been there, but I think he wants to go somewhere. I think he just wants new. I think he he's to the point where he wants to change his scenery. I mean, he's one of the five or six or seven best players in baseball, and he's not talked about the way a Trout or a Betts or a Aaron Judge even, like guys that are in big markets, it, it's, you know, it's the has and the have not still, just like the NBA, and I think he's going to end up in a big market. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's going to end up probably, you know, the, the disclosure has been he's going to end up with the Yankees, um, which I think is adding salt to the wound to, to, to the Indians fans because that's that's the Indians' really main uh, competitor in their eyes, are the New York Yankees, just from all the way back in the 1930s and 40s into the 50s and 60s. Every time the Indians have a good player, he seems to end up on the New York Yankees, and the last one was C.C. Sabathia. Um, I would be really surprised if Lindor doesn't end up with the Angels myself. Um, I think they're going to see an opportunity to put him and Trout together at the top of that lineup. Do you really think that they can afford both him and Trout? Oh, absolutely. If any, they're the only teams that can, LA and New York. I mean, you're um, talking about almost $800 million. In first of all, Francisco players. ain't getting what, nearly what Trout got, um, from anybody. Well, I don't he, know. He, he's not getting no $400 million contract. He might get something in the lines of what Bryce Harper got or what Anthony Rendon got, but 
nobody's getting Mike Trout money. Well, I, I and don't, they shouldn't. I well, I I agree. I think Mike Trout is the best player in baseball right now, but I think Francisco Lindor is the second best player in baseball. No comment. On I think that it's one, close. <laughs> no, no, I think it's close. Um, and I think Lindor should get a lot of money, but I don't see anybody anywhere giving him that kind of money. I just, I don't see it happening. Um, we saw it a lot this year with the free agent class. Everybody outside of Garrett Cole got less than people really thought they were going to get. Um, I just don't see that kind of, I think there's the special, special guys, Lindor special, obviously, but he's not, he's not Mike Trout. I mean, he's just not. He's yeah. I don't think Mook. I don't think Mookie Betts will get that much money. I don't think anybody in baseball not named Mike Trout is getting that kind of money. I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, that's one, uh, you're going to see those contracts start to come back down to earth a little bit. So one thing my dad told me before he passed away, a few weeks before he passed away, was the fact that the when he saw Mike Trout, he saw Mickey Mantle. Yeah, I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. One hundred. Other than switch hitting, one hundred percent. And he was because yeah. if Mickey, if Mickey never gets hurt, Mickey probably has numbers outside oh. out the, out of this world. Yeah. And 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 my dad was talking about physically. It was just Mickey Mantle was that physically imposing a ball player that yeah, built like football players. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And while while all this COVID nineteen thing has been going on, Blake, there's been a lot of. You know, ancillary baseball talk going on all over Facebook and podcasts and uh, national radio and sports talk radio. And the one thing that I thought was rather interesting was the fact that both the Reds and the Indians have put together their – the fans have voted for their all-time teams. Now, the Reds are really you – know, we're going to talk about the Reds this week, okay? We'll talk about the Indians next week. But talking about the Reds this week, the Reds realistically are pretty easy to pick – as far as an all-time team, there's only a couple that I think you could have any type of a debate on. I mean, it's real simple. I mean, if you go ahead and give your all-time Reds team off the top of your uh, head, the easiest ones are catcher and second base, where the Reds have the best players in the history of baseball, the best catcher ever, and the best second baseman ever. Um, that's so Morgan, uh, Morgan at second bench. Behind the plate, um, I put Pete at third uh, with Foster, probably junior and senior in the outfield. Um, and Barry Larkin is short, close. Uh, David Concepcion was a lot better than people think he was. Um, and then that brings you the question you want to hear. The first base, the first base question. Yeah, for me, for me, it's Joey. Um, I think, I think for me, Joey Votto's the best all-around offensive player to ever play in Cincinnati. Um, I think, you know, he has almost single-handedly created a lot of this new age on-base percentage metric stuff. He is the darling of that age, and he the way he thinks about hitting, the way he, you know, goes about it, he's just, to me, he's the best offensive player to ever play in a uniform. Well, I mean, a lot of these positions, like you said, are are relatively easy. I mean, you know, 
Bench at catcher, Morgan at second, Larkin at short, Rose at third. In the outfield, the way that they voted them was Robinson, Davis, and Foster. Now, I understand, you know, all of them did not, all three of those players did not play their entire career in Cleveland. George Foster ended up leaving to go to the Mets. Eric Davis was injured a lot of the time. And Frank Robinson, of course, was traded in that infamous trade, sending him to Baltimore. I think Frank Robinson is a no-brainer. To, yeah, to me, I, I would I'm, put I would probably put him on the Orioles all-time team instead of the Reds, just because that's the way I feel. But I can absolutely understand that. Yeah, the one that I don't, I, I, you could make a debate for, and I really don't have any argument against it. Although I don't think I'd put him in it. Is is Junior? The only reason I don't think I would put Junior in there is because he was on the downside of his career when he came to Cincinnati. Had he been just another guy from Pittsburgh, let's just say, uh, instead of a homegrown talent in Cincinnati, you probably wouldn't be talking about Ken Griffey Jr. being on the all-time team, would you? Ken, Ken, I would. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. is fourth all-time in Reds history in home runs. People don't realize that. Fourth all-time in Reds history in home runs. Um, and he battled tremendous injuries. And again, I'm a little bit biased. He's my all-time favorite player. I grew up playing on the same little league field he grew up, he played on. Um, but I think he was a really good player for almost a, almost a decade for the rest. And I think I think part of me that wants to put him on there is because he gets such a bad rap because he was Ken Griffey Jr. and he was hurt all the time. People want to act like in Cincinnati like it was his fault he got hurt, and it just drives me nuts. But now that you brought up Eric Davis, I'm kind of upset I didn't put him on my team. (laughs) Okay, where are you? You must be – okay, Ken Griffey Jr. had 210 home runs as a Cincinnati Red. That puts him 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, ninth on the list of all-time Cincinnati Red home run hitters. Eric Davis was 10th, 7 behind Jr. Jay Bruce was actually – hit more home runs than Junior did in a Reds uniform, 233. George Foster had 244. You got Kluzuski. Now, I don't remember Kluzuski, so I know you don't remember Kluzuski, but I remember a lot of people talking about Ted Kluzuski and what a monstrous hitter he was. He had 251. Even Adam Dunn had 270 as a member of the Reds. Then you've got Joey Votto, who's number four. Joey Votto's got 284 home runs as a Red. Perez had 287, Robinson 324, and Bench is the all-time leader for the Reds with 389. Um, It's kind of surprising when you look at that number that, you know, with all the home run hitters on that list and all the guys that you've heard of on that list, that the all-time record for a Red uniform is only less than 400. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I I found that to be rather surprising, too. Um, But, you know... I, I loved Eric Davis. I thought Eric Davis is probably the most underrated ball player that the Reds have had in a long time. Um, and when I look at Perez and Votto, boy, I'll tell you, there, there have been, you know, Votto, when he has been outstanding, he's been outstanding. He's been off the charts. When he has had a subpar year, Blake, he's really had subpar years. He's still right around a career 300 hitter. Um, for 400 on base percentage. Top five in 
in uh, franchise history and home runs. The biggest difference you talk about with people, especially in Cincinnati, between Perez and Votto is the clutch gene that everybody likes to talk about. Votto's not clutch, which is the most overrated thing in baseball. Um, and RBIs, which is another extremely overrated stat in baseball. I like runs created a lot more. Um, and Votto is top in baseball every year with that. And I don't know if it's my generation or what. I just think Votto's better. Just personal opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I don't I would, think you can go wrong with either of them. Oh, absolutely not. You know, in, in my mind, I go with, um, Tony Perez and I go with, uh, I actually, you know, George Foster had some monster years for the Reds. He he really did. And then he ended up in New York, and I think they expected him to be the second coming of Babe Ruth, and, and he wasn't. He was not. Let's just put it. There are some players, Blake, like Reggie Jackson, like Thurman Munson, like Craig Nettles, like Derek Jeter, that are New York type of players. Even Paul O'Neill was a New York City type of player. George Foster was not a guy that could play in New York. He just wasn't built for it. Yeah, and I actually think if, if you held a gun to my head and made me pick a guy, George Foster or Adam Dunn, I'd probably pick Adam Dunn just because of yep. more longevity in his career in Cincinnati, hit more home runs, um, but really similar players, like big power, big strikeout guys. And I think based on the top, the length of service for the team, I would probably take Don over Foster. Yeah, um, I, I I would I would almost agree with you on that. Um, have you been watching The Last Dance about Michael uh, Jordan? Of course I have. <laughs> I found it interesting last night. We're not going to talk about the basketball portion, but the first hour, episode seven, had to do with, of course, Jordan retiring from the game after his father was murdered and switching over to baseball for that year, year and a half. And I had forgotten until last night that his manager in Birmingham was Terry Francona, the current manager of the Indians. And Francona made a comment last night that I thought was really interesting that he's getting shelled for this morning. And that is, had Michael Jordan been able to put 1,500 at-bats together in the minor leagues, he would have found a way to make the major leagues. I like the fact that they talked about, um, I don't, it was one of the other coaches that was there at the time talked about, you know, people tend to forget Michael started off his career there with a 13 game hitting streak. Yeah. And we're talking about one of the five or six best athletes on the planet who had played an entire life. I think, I don't think Tito's completely off base. Um, I think if Michael Jordan played baseball his entire adult life, I don't think he would have been the Michael Jordan of baseball. Doesn't mean he couldn't play. The th- I, 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 I I tend to agree with Francona. I mean, what uh, what what was interesting, and I didn't realize this, was Francona said he had 50 RBIs that year. He hit 202, mm-hmm. but batted, but had 50 RBIs, and that's a hell of a stat to bat without a doubt. Yeah, you know, and have 50 RBIs. And the other thing that I found interesting was Reinsdorf coming out saying that Jordan should have started out in the instructional league or single A 
but they couldn't put him at those spots because the media uh, availability was not there in single A and the instructional league, so they had to put him at double A so they could they could make him available to all the media that was coming out to watch him play. Yeah, he's playing against a lot of guys that were up and comers or guys still hanging on. So it's a lot of guys that either did or would have had at some point major league baseball experience. He's not playing against, you know, kids in single A that just got done finishing their division three season. He's playing against, you know, other grown men who have been playing baseball their entire lives who never took, you know, 10 years off to have a little career in basketball. Yeah. Um, he, he I, I agree. I mean, if he would have been in instructional league hitting the way he hit at in double A, he probably hits 300. Um, he probably hits 10 or 15 home runs in instruction and that with that level of pitching against them. And they talked about how he, once people th- figured out to throw him a breaking ball, he looked like a fish out of water. Yeah. Well, then they also talked about how he put that Michael Jordan mentality into hitting a breaking ball. And by the end of the year, he was hitting breaking balls. It's, yeah. He would have been, he would have been able to play. I don't know that he ever for sure makes the bigs, but I'm telling you, he wasn't. Everybody labels him as a huge bust, and he just wasn't. No, he wasn't the bust that everybody wants to make him out to be. Was he a – well, let's put it – you know, a lot of people today are comparing him to Tim Tebow. Right. In the minor leagues. And in all honesty, Tim Tebow is not a major league baseball player. I mean, let's call it no. a spade a spade here. But he is not a bad baseball player. If you've ever watched, he was a bad it. football player at the NFL level. Right. Um, he he's a much better minor league baseball player than he was NFL quarterback. You know, here's the thing though, Blake, that a lot of hey, he won. I, I agree with that completely, <laughs> but but he looked like he should have been throwing right handed. He didn't know what he was doing. Right, I understand that. Yeah, but he was just the type of guy. Um, he's the best college football player. I have ever seen not quarterback football player like I'll never forget that speech when he came out you will never see a team work harder than we will work over the next 10 weeks you will never see a team more I'm like this dude is a leader he makes me want to run through a wall for him and I've never met him yeah and he's definitely that guy for sure but that doesn't help you win games in the NFL long term I you know I just felt that that was an interesting episode last night I was waiting for that one about the retirement and him going into baseball I understand why he did it and anybody who wants to say that Michael Jordan was a bust go up there and try to hit a 90 mile an hour curveball yeah it's impossible I mean those dudes are throwing big league breaking <laughs> balls at times and he couldn't hit them yeah it's shocking that he couldn't hit them neither could you neither could I neither could 80 percent of the world Blake I don't know about you but I one time stepped into the batter's box against a gentleman named Paul Houck. You don't know who the guy is. He was an old coach of mine, and he was a minor league player at one time for the Detroit Tigers. Never made the majors. He was a minor leaguer. And he threw me a breaking pitch. It started out behind me and broke over the outside corner. It's it's amazing. You think the doggone thing is going to hit you? And all of a sudden you're, you're screaming in it as a right-handed batter. You're swinging into the left-handed batter's batter's box to try to hit the doggone thing. It's crazy. My older brother, Dave, is, uh, 
he threw like 96 as a junior senior in high school. And he also threw a knuckle curve. That was the nastiest thing I've ever seen in my life. He's oh. about eight, nine years older than me. So when he was in college, he came home and threw to me once. I was about 14 and I would, I could, I could hit now. I was a good hitter. Um, I hit like 500 my freshman year playing varsity in, in high school and he made me look stupid. <laughs> he just made me look dumb. I couldn't hit it. I hit off of Andrew Brackman when I was in high school. Andrew Brackman, who ended up going molar guy, who ended up going to NC State, and he played basketball and baseball at NC State. He was a first-round draft pick by the New York Yankees. He one-hit us in high school, and I got the one hit, and it was a number that I beat out. <laughs> so I know the pain. I couldn't. Oh yeah, well, a big league ball, big league pitch is a big league pitch, and no, you can't hit it. No, you you can't. And even if you're the you, catcher, and did you see that video of um, Trevor Bauer pitching to Derek Dietrich in the middle of the desert? Yes, he's telling him what's coming. Breaking balls are coming, and he still can't hit it. That's yeah. a big league hitter. Yep. Which is why, and I'm going to say this, I don't expect us to debate it, which is why I think this whole Houston Astros thing, stealing signs, was overblown. You've still got to hit the baseball. You've still got to throw them out at second base. You've still got to complete the play. You may know what's going to happen, and, you know, 50% of the time, if you're going to guess what the other team is doing and not steal their signs, you're 50% of the time you're going to be right. 50% of the time you're going to be wrong. If you're right 100% of the time, that doesn't mean you're going to be successful 100% of the time. I would I would say that it's really, it'd be really nice to know that a fastball is coming and a fastball count. If you're sitting 3-1 and you know they're throwing a fastball, you got a good idea where it's going to be. It's, it would definitely help. Oh yeah. And knowing and guessing are completely different things. That that's um, true. You enter in a bat with a completely different mentality. Um, I don't. I don't think it. I, I think that team's really good, and I don't think that's what won a World Series. But I think it definitely helped, and that, it's against the rules to me. That's all that really matters. Blake over under baseball by July first. Oh, I think we're right on. I think we'll have it that weekend. Yeah, I think July fourth area, July fourth weekend. I think it's. I think we're playing baseball. I agree with you. I think we will be. Where we don't know. I guess we'll find out and we'll talk about it again next week. Okay. Sounds good, Dave. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's program. Thanks for joining us here this evening on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show for Blake Watson. I'm Dave Mitchell. Join us again next Monday night at 7 o'clock for another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Until then, have a good week, everybody.